and welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. My name is Marissa Lordanik. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We've got a warm-up game, the last warm-up game for the Matildas coming up next week. They'll be playing Japan. So consider this the warm-up to the warm-up. We're very lucky today we have a special guest joining us. So in addition to me, it's Angela christian Wilk, Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington, and live from Japan, it's Dan Orwitz. So Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. We're stoked you're here. You are very much a expert on Japanese football so we're really excited to kind of go through this upcoming friendly and the Olympics and just women's football in general in Japan with you so let's kick things off with the upcoming uh, friendly between the Matildas and Japan we obviously know how the Matildas have been tracking this last year because we're an Australian women's football podcast but for people who don't know how has Japan's last year been how have they been going with COVID, obviously, what have their results been like? What can we kind of expect from them? Well, uh, obviously, 2020 was a bit of a, a, a loss uh, in terms of just not being able to play. Uh, prior to uh, this March, uh, the team's last games, I, I, should, I was going to say competitive games, but really any, any sort of fixture was the She Believes Cup uh, in the United States. And I guess that was m- late February slash early March 2020. The timeline is a bit vague. It's, it's been a bit of a year for anyone who's been, you know, living in a cave and just tuning in. We've, we've had a bit of a long one. Uh, but the, the team ha- has gotten back into the swing of things. Uh, they've had some training camps over the course of the last six months or so. In April, uh, they played friendlies against Paraguay and Panama, won both of those 7-0. Uh, so that, that's not not only sort of a sign of, of Nadesco's quality, but maybe a, a sign of the level of the opponent's qual- quality, especially uh, given that they had to fly all the way to Japan and deal with the bubble uh, and that sort of thing. And then in June, they played two more friendlies, uh, one 8-0 against Ukraine and 5-1 against Mexico. Uh, so the, the team is in pretty good shape, uh, certainly not as utterly dominant as, say, the United States, but they're, they're looking good. Uh, and the the squad uh, now, I guess, had 22 women uh, since FIFA and, and the IOC approved uh, the addition of the backup players. It's a very young squad, a lot of uh, success and experience at the underage level, uh, not so much at this sort of major international tournament, uh, only two players uh, who participated in the 2011 uh, World Cup campaign. So that's that does tell you that this generational shift uh, is not quite complete. I mean, it's almost complete. Uh, basically, we've almost transitioned from sort of the golden age of Nadesco to Japan to this new era under uh, Asako Takakura. And this is going to be their big test. I think the 2019 was a warm up in a lot of ways. And tw- this year will be absolutely huge for them. I'm, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will be at least vaguely aware that Japan's youth production system is quite extraordinary. But perhaps we haven't been paying much attention to Japan at youth level uh, to the extent that we should, particularly as Australians playing in Asia, having to come up against Japan in international competitions quite regularly. So what are your, I guess, thoughts or assessments of these young players coming through? And are there any in particular that we should be looking out for come uh, the, the Olympics? I, I think that 
the the youth production on the women's side, I mean, that is why Japan has been able to excel in the women's game for as long as it has. Uh, I think that the rest of the world has caught up in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I, I think that that we saw that with Japan failing to qualify for the Olympics in 2016. Uh, so, so it's been an eight, eight, or I guess now nine year wait for, you know, for us to, to come back and try to get revenge for uh, winning silver in London. So th- it's a long time and, and the world has caught up a lot uh, in that period. Uh, but if you look at how the JFA handles youth development, uh, the, JFA Academy, uh, which was in Fukushima. Uh, now the women's team plays in Shizuoka Prefecture and they're moving back to Fukushima in 2024, which is a big sort of, uh, you know, not not too, maybe not too important from the technicals side, but, but for the team to be back in its spiritual home is very important. And we have seen uh, increasingly more players going out at younger ages and going overseas, going to Europe, going to the United States now. And so the women's side is almost in the same position as the men's side was after the 2010 World Cup, where you saw players start to go to Europe and start to get attention and now start, start to get scouted by European clubs from the J League. So I think that in the coming years, that is what you're going to see uh, from uh, Japan's women's football community. You're going to see younger players get scouted earlier. Uh, you're going to see academies produce younger players, hopefully get transfer fees and try to you know, build up uh, the clubs on that end. But it has always been our strength. I think if you're looking at some of, of the players on the younger side, uh, yeah, we have, I think the average age of the squad is early, mid-20s. I, I don't have... That, that number on hand right now, but you look at uh, Momoka Kinoshita, who I believe is 18, and I think she'll be the youngest player on the squad. She was a, a backup member who got folded in uh, after FIFA and the IOC's ruling. Uh, you have Honoka Hayashi and Saori Takarara, who are uh, both in their early 20s, I think uh, 23 and 22 respectively. And if the Olympics were played on time, they wouldn't have made the squad, but they've taken this last year to work on their game, to grow. Both of them went overseas. Ahayashi went to Sweden. Uh, Takarara went to the United States with the Washington Spirit. And they've improved so much that even though they both have basically six and, and seven caps respectively, uh, they have what it takes and they've impressed at the underage level and they've made it onto the squad. So they are among the vanguard uh, of the squad and it's very exciting to see how things will turn up. We don't quite know. It's hard to really predict what this team is going to do, but there's a lot of potential there. What does this game, Dan, against Australia mean to Japan, like hearing the discussion, I guess, from our side of things, it's Australia's tested itself against a bunch of European teams. It feels like playing against Japan, it's a return to the familiar, but at the same time, we know always a, a tough test, but also haven't played Japan for quite a while, realistically. Like, But how are things seen, like how is this game seen from, I guess, the Japan point of view? What are their expectations? How do they look at the Matildas? What, what does this game mean for them in terms of... Um, preparation for the Olympics? 
this is going to be a really important game for Nadeshko Japan, because if you look at the four teams we've played against in friendlies, none of them are, are that high up in the rankings. Uh, you know, I don't believe any of those teams are going to be at the Olympics. And uh, they were just sort of opponents. Uh, you know, I'm not going to uh, belittle any of those sides. They did have players with quality, but it, it wasn't they weren't high caliber. Uh, opposition. And so the Matildas are going to be a, a real big test. Uh, and I think the biggest test that they could possibly have heading into uh, these Olympics. So from that perspective, it's going to be important to see how Japan performs against a team who are, are capable of going deep into the competition. And I think that I don't know how much Japanese fans will be looking for a result, but anyone who knows about the women's game will know to pay attention. I suppose from the Australian context as well. So we've got Tony, he's, um, uh, well, feels brand new still, but he's been in the role for quite a bit now. I suppose it's with Japan's coach. So she's been around for a few years now, but she's working with, it sounds like there's been quite a generational shift. So they had that golden generation and she's got a new bunch of players to work with here. Um, are there any expectations around her? Has she um, earned the trust of, I suppose, um, women's football fans in Japan or are they still figuring her out? I'm interested in, in how, what's the vibe around, I'm going to butcher her name, I'm sorry, Asako Takakura? Oh, it's perfect. No, you <laughs> nailed it. Um, you know, she isn't, unfortunately, um, the women's team doesn't have nearly the profile it did 10 years ago. Um, the, the 2011 Women's World Cup win pushed Nadesco into the spotlight. Uh, there were about four, maybe five glorious years where they mattered. And it's unfortunate that, that they don't really matter as much, but, you know, not making the Olympics, uh, being eliminated from the, uh, the round of 16 in France, you know, that, that will do it. And, uh, you know, the team hasn't really had so much star power. You know, Takakura isn't uh, uh, quite a, not, I wouldn't, she isn't like uh, one of those sort of charismatic superstar managers. Uh, she's a very smart head coach. Uh, she uh, has a very good history of, of leading Japan's underage teams. And, and that's why she was given the job. Uh, she went, we have under 16, under 17, 18, 19, 20, and 23. Like she, she went through the whole uh, system before she was placed in charge uh, of Nadesco in 2016. And the, the problem that she faced was that uh, Norio Sasaki, who was the previous head coach, he, he did sort of push his luck. And I think that the better time to have changed, had that generational shift would have been after the 2015 Women's World Cup in Canada. But unfortunately, that's just not how it went. And uh, in failing to qualify for Rio, it was a setback for the team. And so Takakura was forced to start from zero, more or less, and uh, bring in that generational shift under conditions that weren't the highest. So she's really been working towards this moment. And I don't think that expectations were as high for her during the Women's World Cup because people understood that the team was in a rebuilding process. But now that we're finally at the Olympics, uh, she does have the pressure on her to perform well, uh, to get onto the podium. This is a team that if it, if all the pieces work together and she talked 
a lot in her press conference about how important balance was. You can't just swap in one player for another. You have to look at all the pieces and how they fit. And you know, you're building the foundation of a skyscraper uh, was, the, was, I believe, the, the metaphor that she used. And I, I think that she understands that if she doesn't get a result at this tournament, then she might be in trouble. Uh, I, it would be far for me to say that, you know, her, her job's on the line, but I think that the, there will be a lot of pressure on Nadeshko to, to at least finish on the podium. I, I think everyone understands that the U.S. are, are the prohibitive favorite, but, uh, you know, on any given Sunday or, or Saturday or whenever uh, they play, you know, uh, this is a team that can produce magic, and, and I think that's what she'll be hoping for. Dan, this is going to be a really super simple question, but I think not all of our listeners are going to be super acquainted with um, Japanese team. Some of the stars, bar say Manu Iwabuchi, who plays in England or had players play in the US. But given it is such a young team with some up and comers, we've got to look at a few of them in France. But who are the who are the players that people in Japan are really excited to see? Because like I know for us from our side of things, it's like. Mary Fowler's in, Kyra Cooney Cross is in. Are these the players that can step up? Or even, you know, a couple of years ago, it would have been, what can we see Sam Kerr perform at a World Cup? Like, who are the players that on home soil that Japanese football fans are really keen to see? And who can, I guess, step up? Because there's always players that make their mark in these big tournaments. I think that, you know, Mani Wabuchi is going to be the face of the team. Uh, you just look at how she's performed in these friendlies, scoring at will. Uh, doing really well in England, getting that move to Arsenal. Uh, that, that, that's a huge step for her. And so I think that she is sort of set up to be, be the face. Uh, Saki Kumagai, uh, who is the, other, the team's other sort of super veteran, uh, just moved to Bayern Munich and you know, she'll be the captain and she will be you know, another just reassuring veteran presence uh, on a back line that, that has a little bit of international experience but uh she's got 114 caps and then risa shimizu is next with 37 so that that's your back line uh yui hasegawa who plays at uh ac milan uh you know she'll be sort of the star of the midfield so i think those three are going to be your your veteran experienced stars uh and those are are the ones who are going to get the most headlines but of course uh Anyone who scores a goal, anyone who makes a big play, you know, they are just a moment away uh, from being thrust into the spotlight. You look at domestic talent, uh, Emi Nakajima, who plays for Aina Kobe Leonessa, Yuika Sukasawa, who plays for Urawa Reds Ladies. You know, the, those are the, the players who uh, certainly We League officials hope are going to do really well, because if We League players stand out at the Olympics, then uh, that will mean a lot for the league heading into its first season in September. Yeah, it's a nice segue, Dan. The starting of the Wii League, I think, is so exciting. And for Aussie fans as well, it's really cool to see that we're going to have one of our own over there. And Alex Chidiak, she announced that she'd be joining Jeff United uh, a couple of weeks ago, which we love here on this podcast because we are fans of anyone called Jeff and any club called Jeff. Um, But what is the, I guess, sort of bouncing off Harrow's question as well, like what is the... Uh, what is the vibe around starting up the Wii League? Like, is there is there a big sort of fan community that are, is already starting to build around some of these clubs? Like, what what is the vibe over there? So, the 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 question of the the, 
the the fandom surrounding the Wii League uh, is an interesting one to answer. And I don't want to get too into the weeds on this because I can get really far into the weeds on this. And to, to understand the community that supports women's football in Japan, uh, you have to understand the, a brief history of uh, J-pop idols in the country and that sort of music fandom and how that relates to sports fandom. And I'm not going to get too into that, uh, but the Wii League is really trying to do something different and trying to change the game because uh, they see that, well, women's sports in Japan have until now been mostly supported by men in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who support these players as they would support their favorite pop idols and musicians and they want to get families involved they want kids to want to grow up to be wheelie players and to play uh women's football professionally so that's the challenge they're setting out to do and we saw some really promising results in the preseason uh in terms of turnout you had some games getting 500 a 1, thousand 1500 people uh, at some of the more popular teams and that is really good for preseason games uh played under our state of emergency conditions uh in many cases uh with teams selling tickets you know these, these aren't this isn't the the nadesco league anymore uh where teams would often give away tickets for free uh this this is you know we are getting professional football here uh and the, the buzz is certainly starting to build. I think the league announced its title sponsor, uh, Yogi Bo, the sort of beanbag furniture manufacturer. Yesterday, they announced that DAZN will be its broadcaster, uh, which is very important because it puts the Wii League in front of uh, the same fans who watch the J League, uh, who watch the Premier League. Uh, so having women's football, given that level of exposure in Japan, is going to be really important. So we're starting to get the buzz. Uh, they announced... Uh, a number of team uniforms today. Uh, X-Girl, the streetwear brand, uh, is going to be the league's supplier and covering seven of the 11 clubs. So, you know, you look at the, those designs and you see, like, this is happening and it's really cool. And uh, they have a lot stacked against them. It's by no means going to be an easy task uh, to start a new league during a pandemic. But there's a lot to be excited about. And I think that as they play and as the excitement builds, the audience is going to grow. And if Japan gets a medal, uh, just as we saw in 2011 with the Women's World Cup, you know, it's really going to give the club some momentum and push early attendance. And that's going to help a lot. Yeah, it's really interesting that you'd say that about the fans, like, I guess, the historical fan of women's football in Japan, because I think in a lot of, lot of other areas in the world, they're trying to distance themselves from, you know, the role model thing and only being for families so it sort of seems like the reverse um I, you just mentioned there you know there's a lot of excitement around this league and it seems to everyone seems to be taking it very seriously it's it's a fully professional league I suppose what um for those who are listening and don't know and for myself as well um what is the purpose of the Wii League is it to be one of the best leagues in the Asian like football sphere um is it to develop young players is it going to mirror sort of what's happening in Narasiko like tell me about it I suppose well it's the um because I suppose the W League over here it's shifting to more of a developmental league but this doesn't feel like that the Wii League is setting out to do a lot of things uh one is to help develop players 
uh, two is to make women's sports and, and to make women's football commercially viable in Japan. Uh, they're not just aiming to be the number one league in Asia. They want to be considered among the best leagues in the world. They're looking at the W League, at the uh, Women's Super League, at the NWSL, and they want to be in that conversation. And uh, perhaps maybe arguably more importantly, uh, they do want to drive the social conversation in Japan about, you know, it, it is their right in the title, you know, Women's Empowerment League. Now, that's not what we're going to be calling it in casual conversation, but that is the intent behind it. Uh, it's maybe a bit too on the nose, but, you know, it is Japan, uh, a country not really known for its subtlety in this sort of thing. But they are asking a lot of important questions about women in the workplace, women in society. They want to make uh, things just much more inclusive. They want to give football players an opportunity to be able to play professionally. In the Nadesco League, uh, which is sort of continuing as, as the top amateur league below the Wii League, clubs are owned by companies and they are corporate clubs. So the players aren't professional. They are employees of those companies who just happen to play football. And so they may work, they, they may work in the morning and train in the afternoon or vice versa. You know, they, they are part-timers. And that is the foundation upon which football was built in Japan. Uh, that was the same with the J-League. You know, J-League was founded in 1992, but before then was the Japan Soccer League. Yokohama F. Marinos were Nissan SC. Tokyo Verdi was Yamuri SC. Urawa Reds was Mitsubishi SC. So there was a very tight-knit sort of corporate sporting culture where these companies set up clubs to be sort of, uh, you know, to promote fitness and to promote recreation among its employees. And it also became a source of pride uh, because, you know, the, the employees and their families would go and support their company. And that ethos has sort of continued. The, the challenge that the Wii League will have, which is what the J League had before, uh, is creating those local hometown identities. And we have seen that. I mean, Arawa Reds ladies have always been Arawa Reds ladies, but now uh, the challenge is that they do have to sort of outgrow those corporate identities, even though they will be staying in the team names and really establish themselves in their community. Uh, and I feel like I've sort of made this answer way longer than I intended to. Uh, but there, there's that aspect. There's things like, uh, LGBT awareness and understanding uh, that the chairperson is very keen on uh, more outreach, uh, sensitivity training for players. Uh, you know, a, a number of clubs have did pride games in June, which had never done, been done before in Japan. Uh, so you look at how that's going and, and all of the goals that they have for just creating, you know, telling women in Japan that like, listen, you can do whatever you want to do. You know, you can tell telling uh, young young girls, listen, if you want to be a pro footballer when you grow up, that's now an option for you. Uh, creating pathways for players after they retire to 
work as coaches, you know, to, to get their licenses to work in media, possibly, you know, they're, they're really trying to, to, to push that conversation, which we haven't really had any sports leagues do here is you look at how women's sports have been marketed in Japan and it is sort of uh, for the male gaze in a way, even though if you look at how men's sports are marketed in Japan, it is much more friendly to female fans. If you look at the, the J-Leagues fandom, for example, uh, about 37 or 38% of fans in the stadium are women. And so I touched earlier on how the Wii League is going to be looking to bring in more families and, and make women's football more attractive for, for female fans. The interesting challenge here is that it's not like when the NWSL was evolving, their goal was to create a safe space for people who maybe didn't feel comfortable at MLS games. So the Wii League's challenge is that, well, the families and women are already going to J-League games because they're perfectly comfortable going to those stadiums. So how do you get them to also care about the Wii League? So that's going to be one of the challenges. And now I've definitely made this answer longer than I had intended. But speaking of sort of social issues and social causes, Dan, you wrote a really fabulous piece about Kumi Yokoyama, who came out as a trans man a couple of weeks ago. Um, for people listening who don't know, Kumi plays for Washington Spirit in the NWSL um, and is the first player, I think, to really do something as publicly as this. Can you sort of speak to... I guess, how that story landed in Japan and among Japanese football fans? Like, were people shocked? Were people accepting and welcoming? What happened? Uh, you know, th thank you for, for your kind words. I mean, it, it was a, an incredible story to, to be able to put out there and certainly one that I never thought I would be able to write about an active player. Uh, it was received very positively in Japan. Uh, I think that Kumi has a lot of supporters here. Uh, they, the way in which they came out was a very smart way by, uh, doing that interview with Yuki Nagasato, uh, who's a former, um, Nadesco Japan player. Uh, she also plays in, in the U S with racing Louisville and, uh, Nagasato is very smart about how she uses YouTube just as a blogger and as just sort of an influencer in the way that she does talk a lot about how things are done in the NWSL, stuff related to women's sports. Um, and so for Kumi to use that platform was very smart. Um, they have received nothing but support here. Uh, the, the fans are very proud of them. Uh, the players have been nothing but supportive. Lots of praise from Nadesco Japan players, lots of praise from uh other athletes of every sport uh, who, who retweeted and, and uh, commented. And, you know, it's really interesting that uh, President Joe Biden tweeted out something and uh, our prime minister, uh, Yoshida Suga, didn't really comment. I think we asked his chief cabinet secretary about it at a press conference and it was sort of a boilerplate answer. So, you know, Japan is a very conservative country. Um, that's going to take a long time to change. But uh, for Kumi to do something like this took a lot of bravery. 
And uh, it's definitely going to change the conversation going forward. Just to bounce off that, Dan, not so much about Kumi, but Yuki Nagasato obviously came here and played in um, played in Australia in the W League with Brisbane Raw. She's been super popular over in the NWSL. Like all her teammates, past and present, seem to love her. She's a big personality. She brings a lot. And then you notice as well on Twitter, she is also very vocal, I think, about issues in Japan and uh, things she has problems with comparing how different things work in different leagues and different countries. Like she's obviously been a, um, a hero for the national team in the past. Uh, like what, what is the, the feeling towards Yuki in Japan? Like, is she beloved? Is she like polarizing? I'm, I'm curious because everyone in football in the U S and I think that those that have interacted with her over here seem to love her and she seems very well liked by her teammate, by her teammates, sorry. And it's clearly a big personality. Like what, what is, I guess, the vibe towards Yuki these days? I think women's football fans like her. I wouldn't say anyone dislikes her. Um, it's really interesting. I think that for someone to come out and speak as she has on all sorts of social issues, you do sort of have to leave Japan to be able to do that. And it's not because you'll sort of be ostracized if you say that in Japan, but the the line between sports and politics in Japan is really thick um, in a way that it no longer is in the United States or in Australia or in Europe. And it, it's really hard to describe. Like it, it's very much a third rail. Um, I, I've said in the past that that the J-League has generally been reluctant to say anything more controversial than racism is bad. Like that's about as far as any professional sports league here will go. So Nagasato uh, is definitely an outlier. Um, and it's going to take a while for Japanese athletes who play here uh, to be able to find their voice. Uh, but you look at uh, Yuka Momiki, uh, who plays uh, for OL Reign in the NWSL, and she's also tweeted a lot about her experiences. Um, I remember she tweeted some very moving stuff, and she blog she wrote some very moving stuff on her blog uh, about what it was like to be on that team during uh, the Black Lives Matter protests last year. Um, and that's an experience that players in Japan aren't really going to get in Japan. And this is something that I uh, talked to uh, Saori Takarada and Honoka um, Hayashi about, because it's uh, when, you know, when you're in Japan, you refer to anyone who isn't in Japan, who isn't from Japan as a foreigner. But, you know, for a Japanese player to go to the US, to go to Europe, to play on those teams, all of a sudden they're the foreigner. And so they are forced to think about how, you know, what sort of circumstances they're in and how they're acting and what they think about certain issues. Uh, when in, in when they're playing in Japan, they didn't have to think about those sorts of issues. You don't have to think about Black Lives Matter in Japan because uh, it's very rare that you're going to have a Black teammate, at least in the women's league. Um, you don't have to think about LGBTQ issues because odds are you don't have any teammates who are open. Maybe you do. I, mean, I know that um, Yokoyama was out to friends and teammates and they had that understanding, but it, it isn't something that we just sort of talk about normally. 
So eventually the Wii League may sort of become that first stepping stone, uh, but Nagasato is definitely an outlier. Um, and I think that she can be so because of her experience overseas and because she is overseas, she does have that freedom uh, to talk about that experience. Bit of a niche one here, Dan, um, but given the way leg has started up and you mentioned how exciting it is, I guess in that sort of broader context, what was the response to um, Naomi Osaka becoming part of the NC Courage uh, ownership group? Because it clearly seemed to spark extra investment in the US by having such a high profile athlete do that. But obviously, yeah, given she's Japanese, like I would have been interested to see what the reaction was like there and whether it can spark something similar back in Japan. Barely registered. Um, the only, <clears throat> there is only a very niche um, fandom, there's only a very niche subset of women's football fandom in Japan who are really tuned into what's happening on like in the US, in Europe, um, especially on the sports business side of things. Like J Japan is really catching up over the, these last three, four years, Japan is really caught up in terms of sports business stuff, but we're still miles behind where the US is. I mean, I think that's true of most countries, um, but you know, we don't have athletes who are 100 millionaires. We don't have athletes who have the money to, to be able to, you know, invest in a pro team. The only one we sort of have is Keisuke Honda, who is by Japanese standards, rich beyond belief, and by US or European standards, rich. Uh, and he has his team in Cambodia, his team in Uganda, I believe it is, um, a minority stake in Orange County SC. You know, like he, he has his little empire uh, among all, all these little, you know, soccer schools and, and, and clubs that his management company owns. But he's not making, he's not investing in, you know, he's not buying Inter. He's not buying, you know, a, a stake in LAFC or I guess some um, Angel City. You know, we just don't have players who do that sort of thing yet. Um, I, I really don't know what it's going to take for that sort of thing to happen. Uh, certainly seeing Naomi make that sort of investment was great news. Uh, but I, I do kind of wish that she had been able to make that investment into a Wii League team. Uh, but it, it does reflect going back to my earlier point about how these teams are owned by companies, not individuals. So for a Japanese club to have that sort of ownership group structure, uh, we're a long way from that. Uh, I think that having our sort of corporate owned structure is one of the reasons that professional football in this country has been able to stay stable for as long as it has, because uh, a big company uh, is not going to always put in a ton of money into wages in, into the club, but it's going to invest responsibly and smartly. And that's how those clubs keep going. Uh, that's why you don't have an inter situation where the company is you know, bankrupt and looking to sell. Uh, that, that's why these clubs have managed to survive uh, for almost 30 years and, and going now. And so it's going to be a long time before the Wii League gets up to that level. And I guess we'll have to see. There might be room among some of the, the smaller community-owned clubs in the future for that sort of minority investment. Uh, but 
I, I don't know. Like that, that would be a seismic shift to our sports landscape on the business side. And I don't see it happening anytime really soon. Angela's audio has cocked it. So I'm going to ask this question on her behalf. Do you have a team or which team are you going to support? And is it weird to effectively support a corporation based on what you've said? I mean, it's weird. I wouldn't quite put it as supporting a corporation, at least in all cases, because one thing that professional football has been successful in doing here is that the clubs have, for the most part, shed those corporate entities. So that was the point of the J-League that in order to to build a a pyramid and to to build uh, an audience for football in Japan, the clubs had to establish community roots and build those hometown relations and build a local fan base. And clubs have have succeeded beyond anyone's wildest dreams. And the the interesting thing about the Wii League, I mean, is that many of the clubs uh, involved do have J-League big brother clubs, let's call it for better or for worse. Uh, Even though uh, Tokyo Verde Belisa have have won more titles than uh, Tokyo Verde ever will. Uh, And one of the interesting challenges is that the Wii League is allowing um, each each club to have a title sponsor. So the full names will be, (laughs) gonna inhale, um, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries Rao Reds Ladies. I, I am in talks with Urawa's uh, media people because they understand that that's going to take more than one line on the paper, and that simply will not do. So we're working on maybe doing MHI, something like that. Tokyo Verdi are sponsored by NTV. Uh, it is Nojima, Stella, Kanagawa, Sagamihara. Nojima being being an electronics retailer. My Navi Sendai Ladies. Uh, My Navi is a, a sort of job temp agency listing site um, who has been sponsoring the club for a long time. So you, you do have these situations and that's going to be a little different um, because I, I don't know of many uh, teams around the world who do have that sort of corporate title sponsor, but I don't think it's going to matter as much. I think that right now women's football fans here support the players and the team now they're trying to get more families, kids, fans to support the team and to create, you know, hometown pride. And I think you saw that today with the announcement of uh, X-Girls uniforms, uh, a lot of promo shots that were taken at, you know, sort of famous places at, at each club's city, you know, hometown or, or, or city or region. And so I think that that's going to be how the Wii League succeeds. And I think the J League has already written this playbook. The Wii League just has to follow it. Um, and, and as far as which team I'm going to support, I, I'm, I, I haven't, not that I haven't picked one, but it just sort of hasn't entered my uh, decision-making process yet. Um, personally, I'm an FC Tokyo fan. Uh, so uh, backing Tokyo Verity is sort of not cool. Really, you know, backing any team who who isn't Tokyo, isn't FC Tokyo, is sort of not cool. But you know, I I, I want to support the league. Um, I didn't write too much about women's football before the Wii League was announced, and I, I have made it sort of a personal slash professional goal to 
do what I can to help elevate the league and, and to bring it more attention because I do see so much potential there, not just from the sporting perspective, but from the, you know, the social perspective and cultural. Um, and and it, it's an exciting time. And I think that uh, the league is doing a lot right. Uh, there's a lot that hopefully they will continue to do right and that they will do better. Um, but there's a lot to be excited about. And as we see more international players join the league, uh, we've also gotten a couple uh, Filipino players who have signed with clubs. And I think that there's going to be uh, others who are incoming over the next couple months. Um, there's going to be a lot to get excited about. Um, it's been a long time since Japan has really gotten behind women's football in a, in a substantial way. The, the boom that we saw after the 2011 women's world cup was, it was a boom. It was temporary. You know, it was come see the, you know, the, the players who were, you know, who did all, who did the thing in Germany. And just for this game, we're going to open up the men's stadium, you know, like it, it was a very temporary thing, but you look at how they're doing this opening, you know, the opening rounds and they're using the men's stadiums and they're working with DAZN and they're going to increase the number of cameras at, you know, for the broadcasts and they're, they're, they're doing the right things. And it isn't going to be at the level of the NWSL yet. It's going to be a long time before we get to that level. Uh, but there's, there's absolutely a lot to be excited about. And um, I hope that, fans who, who are tuning in, you know, you're going to be able to find a, gr a great team. Um, you're going to be able to find your favorite and hopefully you'll be seeing a lot of them of them in the future. Rolls in nicely into what I was going to ask about, Dan, which is Alex Chidiak. Um, we've obviously seen Caitlin Ford, Katrina Gori, Elise Callan Knight, Tamiki Yallet play in Japan before. Um, obviously a new iteration of the league. Uh, it's a bit of a double barrel question. First of all, do you see more Aussies um, following Chids and heading over there? Because I think our general vibe here was yes. And also what can a player like Alex Chidiak get out of this experience? Because from our perspective, it's sort of, we know the discipline side of things, the technical side of things. This is a player who just needs to play a lot of football and, you know, be played in different midfield roles and really just get more and more experience. So, so yeah, one, do you see more Aussies coming too? What can we see Alex Chidiak getting out of this and developing as a player? Because this is a really exciting young player who's sort of just not quite been able to kick on for various reasons. Um, I, I hope that we get more Australian players. I hope that we have a rainbow coalition incoming. Um, the more international players we have in the league, the better it will be uh, because that will also raise the level of play and help our Japanese players improve, which, which is part of what they want to do. Uh, the Wii League as well as the JFA have uh, announced that they're, they're basically going to be offering stipends uh, to any club who signs a foreign player. I think that for the first foreign player they sign, they get roughly 30,000 US, uh, I believe is the stipend. So that does allow them uh, to bring on you know some decent talent uh, and of course that's in addition to whatever the club and, and its sponsors will be able to pay uh, so I do expect that more will come um, when they will be able to come is a different question obviously because everything um, but but that's you know neither here nor there and hopefully uh, everyone will be uh, in town and through quarantine and match fit uh, for week one uh, as far as Alex is concerned I, I think that she will get not just the discipline and 
the the sort of on the pitch benefits of playing in Japan, uh, where the you know the facilities will be good, the level of play will be high, uh, her teammates will be very skilled, as will her opponents be, uh, but. It is the the cultural aspect of playing in Japan that I think does improve you not just as a player but as a person, and I think we've heard that from so many J League players who have come in. Uh, they may have thought that they were only going to be in it for a couple of years, and now that they, they're they basically live here. This is their homes. Um, they they've uh, there's a number of foreign players who have stayed in the league for a decade and counting uh, because it's such a great country to play in it the the, you know, the match day experience is amazing the atmosphere is great uh, the fans are the best in the world and they are incredibly loyal and supportive of their players and i think you're especially going to see that in the women's league uh where the the player the, the fans are a bit fanatical and they they when they get their favorite uh they stand them forever and it, it is <laughs> I love how just everyone's muted and I just see everyone cracking up and I, I, I love it. But um, I mean, that that's what it is. It is just sort of not quite NWSL Tumblr culture, uh, but the, the fans are supportive. And once you have, once you have won the fans over, you have to try to lose them uh, because they will stick with you through thick and thin and that is those those are really good circumstances to play in uh because you know there will be tough times and i'm sure that as an australian coming to japan you know that there's going to be the language issues there's going to be the you know the cultural adjustment adjustments uh and she's going to have to overcome that uh but i'm sure that you know jeff uh will be able to support her her teammates will be able to support her and she'll have a community in japan to lean on uh, so, you know, I, I hope that is, is what you were hoping to hear. Uh, but, you know, I think that she'll do very well here, as will any international player who decides to come over. I guess just one last question, Dan. Looking back to the big daddy of the Olympics, give us your honest assessment from a journalistic point of view, as someone who has watched the Japanese women's national team go through this cycle, this intergenerational change, how far do you think Japan can go? Um, what are going to be, I guess, their biggest hurdles, their biggest challenges? And where do you hope to see them finish? I think that we would all be totally happy with bronze. Uh, I think silver would be an incredible result. Um, if they're facing the US in the finals, like, like it's tough. I... I I'm not just saying that saying this as an American, like I'm saying this from an objective point of view, like it's really hard to see them beating the U S one-on-one, but I think if, if another country manages to, you know, to pull a fast one on, on the U S it's fair game. Um, I, I think that you would need to see a scenario like Sweden beating the U S in 2016 um, for Japan to really enter uh, the gold medal conversation but all the pieces are there. I think that that Nadesco is a team that has never relied on individual greatness. It is a team that that they they win and they lose as a team. And I think that when you're looking at a tournament like the Olympics, it's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. Uh, short rest, lots of travel. 
all of the, uh, you know, all the bubble conditions, you know, it, it's going to test every team. Uh, but if they play as a team, if they live and breathe as a team, then they can win as a team. Uh, and so I think that silver would be an incredible accomplishment. Uh, gold is not completely out of the picture, uh, but if they make it to the final and it's, you know, Rapinio and company on the other side, I, you know, I, I think you take your silver and you smile and that would be you know a great accomplishment and set them up for 2023. I just love the confidence, Dan, that it can be like, this is a team in rebuilding mode. You know, we'll be happy with bronze, you know. We'll do it. You know, we'll take it. We'll, uh, 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 but <laughs> right? it, it is I'm also. Like, really? Come on, Dan. Like, we, we'll we'll take it. If no. we get to the quarterfinals, I'm going to be happy, man. Come but on. but remember, we're the home We're the home team. The expectation is that every af- yeah. every Japanese, none of the Japanese athletes, uh, all, of, I believe, 536 of them, uh, 530 something. I know that they, they officially announced the final, um, list last night. All of, they're not out there, you know, just to say that they were an Olympian, they're all going for the podium. And so that's, that is the level of expectation, uh, that is on Nadesco Japan. They, they've won silver before, uh, they've won silver at the Olympics. They've won it at the women's world cup. They were, are the former world champions, uh, so even when you look at this team from a perspective of the last five years have been rebuilding mode, this is when the tarps come down and we see how 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 good you know a foundation they built. This is what we've been waiting for. Um, I'm not going to say it's do or die because it is a process, and they will build whatever result comes out of this year. Uh, they will build on towards 2023. Uh, but you know. I think that Nadesco have a better chance of getting onto the podium than the men's team. And I have um, a lot of confidence in the men's team to do well, uh, even, even though they, they've arguably got sort of a tougher group even. Um, you know, I, I think that this, this is, if Nadesco are going to burst back onto the scene and the players know the pressure that is on them, not just as a team, but also to, to create that momentum for the Wii League, you know, they know what's up and they know that this is their time to shine. So when, you know, when I say, yeah, we'll be happy with bronze, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, shout it from the rooftops, but like, of course we'd be happy with bronze. Like that's a huge thing, but I, I do think that we will be disappointed if they don't make it that far. Cheeky question, but if the, so US, Japan, grand final, which way is your heart beating? Where are you emotionally? Will that be a difficult time? Do we want? I mean, uh, I mean, physically, I'm watching the home. uh, I'm watching at home on TV because um, my uh, my accreditation is only for Saitama Stadium, which is very disappointing. But um, I I emotionally, God, I haven't even thought of it because I think that I have never seen. uh, I mean, I guess the only U.S. Japan games with stakes that I have watched have been for the women's side. Um, London, Canada, Germany. And I don't know, it, it's weird because obviously as an American fan, you know, we are very proud of everything uh, the US team has done on and off the pitch. Uh, but then again, I mean, I fell in love with the sport in Japan, you know, and it is all I have known. 
like I, I will actually be seeing the U.S. women's team for the first time in person uh, during the group stage, which is is super cool, and I, I'm stoked for that personally. Um, so I, to answer the question, I don't know. Like I, I I think I would just be happy to to be able to witness it in a reasonable time zone. I which I think is, is something that we can all share. Like I know that the kickoff is going to be like twelve thirty, which is going to be brutal, uh, absolutely brutal. Uh, that time of day in mid-August in Tokyo. Uh, but if they get that far, I think we'll all just be happy to see it happen. Dan, we all know the reason you've got your background blurred is because you're sitting on this great big massive fence. <laughs> Ouch. Burn. <laughs> I, we, you just you, didn't you, hear Y'all just, just burned a man live on ESPN. That is brutal. <laughs> brutal. Um, I guess recorded on ESPN. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've said I, I, I've said I, I don't think that I don't think that Japan can beat the U.S. in 120 minutes. I, I, I think, you know, I. I don't think I don't any think, team can beat the U.S. in 120 minutes. I know, and, and, and so it's, you know, but you, you get, look, you get to penalties and anything can happen. We saw that in Germany. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think that it would be, I, I don't think that the scoreline would be as lopsided as it would be in, as it was at the Canada Women's World Cup. Uh, but I do think that the U.S. would win, you know, like 2-3-1 is, is where I would put, yeah, you know, if if I were a betting man, uh, which I'm not, because I'm always horrible predicting these things, that that's that's about what I would predict. And you know, I I think that it's fair. Like, I'm not about to go out on a limb and argue that Japan can beat the U.S. Like that 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 is the most foolish thing I could possibly record myself saying, and, and have distributed to you know your audience of, of tens of millions of of women's football fans worldwide. I would never put myself out there like that. Uh, but. I would, I think I, I prefer to just be confident that this Japan squad can do well. And I think that there's a lot of potential in them. And I, I will be very pleased if I can see them reach that potential uh, at this tournament. Dan, I appreciate you giving a very dignified and serious answer to my very silly joke. But the rest of these three usually just like put their hands over their face or, or laugh. You know what? I try. I try. <laughs> no, thank Don't you. Don't humor her, Dan. Don't humor her. She's going to continue to do it. <laughs> Even if you didn't humor me, I'd still do it. So it's all good. <laughs> Look, I, you know, I, I, I love, I, I love humoring uh, or attempting to humor women that know way more than me about everything. As my wife will tell you, um, I do my best, and not always successful, but I do at least attempt. You know, you 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 miss all the shots you don't take so Wayne Gretzky Michael Scott Dan Orwitz there you go <laughs> put that on a plaque and yes. um that's gonna be the the meme for we we love doing a meme on Twitter so that's gonna be oh, the meme oh, oh that that's not gonna be the title of this episode Michael Wayne Gretzky Michael Scott Dan <laughs> Wow, that that's gonna that's gonna wreck my uh, Google SEO. <laughs> oh, God. we will work it in there somehow. But honestly, we cannot thank you enough for jumping on today and chatting with us. It's been really fascinating and insightful to get all your takes on 
Japanese women's football and everything in between. So thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate it. Not a problem. You know, look, I, I, I'm always happy to be given about an uninterrupted hour to, to, to spout my uh, dumb Japanese uh, football gospel. Um, you know, it's, if you would say like, oh yeah, we're going to do like a half hour episode. I've been like, no, you aren't. Yeah. This, this is going to be that you're every week. Strap in, get your tea. This is going to be a trip. Um, no, I, I, I appreciate it. Um, I'm glad that uh, the team is getting attention. I'm glad, I'm, I really hope that you'll continue to give the Wii League attention because it, it is super exciting. And I have watched for years as women's football around the world has, has just really developed and, and blossomed into this amazing, cool thing. And Japan has just sort of lagged, you know, and, and the, the Nadesco League just sort of flatlined. It didn't really go anywhere. And it, you know, lost a lot of momentum uh, because of the rebuild and this is our chance to start to catch up and you know our success is everyone's success you know it's not I, I don't think women's football isn't pie you know it, it isn't if we succeed then the we league will you know fail I think if we all succeed then everyone benefits and uh, I I hope we can all make it happen absolutely and we'll let everyone know how to follow you and keep up with your takes and your work at the japan times so we'll put that on our socials which is at the far post pod if you want to get in touch with us if you like this episode you can find us on espn.com.au and the espn app we're on spotify google apple like subscribe review i say like like we're a youtube channel i watch too many videos but that's not smash important. that like button <laughs> literally leave a, leave a so comment <laughs> In the box below. Hit, hit, hit the bell. <laughs> anyway, you know what to do. Please tune in next week and hopefully we'll see you then. Bye.